You're listening to Unscripted with Alex, a podcast that empowers young families to make choices that are best for them and their children. Welcome, Tash. Thank you, Alex. How are you today? Really good, really good. I am so excited about this chat because I think it's becoming a mum really changed my whole perspective on what it was to trust your intuition and trust your gut. And I thought I was really good at it prior to being a (laughs) mum. And then it all went out the window and I had to recalibrate and work out how to do it again. So I'm really excited to chat to you about this um, balancing act that we do, how to hone in on our instincts um, and how to make parenting decisions from a point of um, our intuition, trusting our intuition, both in terms of health, but balancing mum and career or parent and career. Oh, I'm very excited to talk about all of that. And um, yeah, mum of three myself and running a business, as you know, and juggling the rest of life too. So it's all a journey, but um, yeah, really excited to jump on and, and share what I what, what I, my experiences are and where I'm at in my journey. Well, I want to start off um, hearing about your birth stories, but also you had a pretty major life event that happened amongst all of that where you were diagnosed with lupus, um, an autoimmune condition. Now, I know how challenging it is just to even get sick with a cold or flu or gastro or something when when you're a parent and still having to look after children. But then to be diagnosed with, um, a condition like lupus, that is a whole new ball game. Um, Do you want to talk to us about your births and how that all tied in? Yeah, sure. So um, so I had my daughter first in 2012 and um, actually ended up with an emergency caesarean. And apart from the trauma of having an unexpected caesarean, that birth was relatively straightforward. I went into motherhood. um, It was a hell of a shock to the system. My first was a very refluxy baby. And so I still remember going into my first mother's group with my baby up on my shoulder, very wriggly, very unsettled and watching all these other mums walking in with their babies, um, lying quietly in their prams, sleeping. You know, I was in awe of these mums that could pick their baby up and lie it on the floor. Like my baby just never did that. She just screamed a lot all the time. And I didn't know what it was. I was a new mum. Like I had this idea of what motherhood was and it was just such a shock to the system. So it was a real awakening for me, um, a real rude awakening. And then um, once we got a reflux managed and, you know, I was referred to a paediatrician and we got some support and, you know, as she got a bit older and things settled, her digestive tract settled, things got a bit easier. Um, and then I had my second, um, was really intent on having a vaginal birth after my cesarean. And so I specifically sought out an obstetrician that was supportive of this vision. And so he said all along that he was, you know, very happy to support me. Obviously, um, risk mitigation was part of the was part of his role. So provided everything was looking well, I was able to go and attempt what they call um, a VBAC, as you probably know. And um, so I actually did go into labor naturally with my second and then 20 something hours later, I was not progressing and I was exhausted. And then his um, 
he started to go into fetal distress. So by that point, I'd had enough, baby had had enough, and the obstetrician suggested that it was time for me to go and um, have the cesarean. So I ended up with a cesarean with my second. And it was after my second that I actually did develop the autoimmune condition. But when at first, um, uh, and they say it was either the birth or the pregnancy that triggered it, something in the hormones or something that shifted chemically in my body that sent my immune system um, out of kilter. And so initially they thought they were, they were doing lots of blood tests because I had really bad fatigue. I had this really bad tenderness in my um, joints, but particularly my feet. And I remember like some mornings not being able to even like walk on my feet. Um, sent me for a whole range of tests. And in the end, they decided that it was, um, they actually thought it was Ross River virus because um, some of the antibodies were showing up a certain way and like the tenderness in the feet and the fevers. There were a few things that they said, okay, so this is what we think it is. And But then I hadn't been anywhere where um, Ross River virus was currently prevalent and it just didn't quite add up. So they referred me off to a rheumatologist <clears throat> and then he basically said, oh, no, you've got this lupus. And I was like, I don't know what's a lupus. <laughs> and you know, explain there was an autoimmune condition, you know, it can attack um, the organs, can attack the joints and, you know, and it does vary very much so from one person to another, which I think is why autoimmune conditions on the whole are quite hard to diagnose. So even what my um, lupus looks like could look very different to the next person that has lupus, even though we technically tick the same boxes. And I was quite fortunate with the first, I guess, attack in that my body settled on its own, and so I went. Um, I went basically into remission, as they call it, and I didn't have any symptoms until <laughs> I had my third baby. And so he came along about four and a half years after my um, after our second, and about six months into um, his life, and he was uh, a scheduled cesarean. So again, I actually went into natural labour. wasn't supposed to, but he was in a hurry. So he came a week earlier than my scheduled cesarean. So he was two weeks early and um, was in a real hurry to come out into the world and nothing's changed. He's still in a hurry. So, um, so yeah, ended up with the scheduled cesarean. And, yeah, about six months into his um, life, things started to flare again. And I remember thinking, oh, this is what happened with William, my second. I had the tenderness in my feet and then it started to go into my hands and then I started noticing it in like some of my other joints, my neck, my ribs, and it wasn't going away this time. So, um, you know, I was sort of in contact with my rheumatologist and he kind of upped some of my medications and we we're playing around with it. And I remember um, it actually all happened around when we went into our first lockdown. So it was a bit of a um, unusual time. I think it was around March 2020. That was our first sort of real lockdown in Perth. And um, I basically let myself, because I just kept thinking it was going to get better. And I was very resistant to the idea. My rheumatologist wanted me to go on a more intense medication. And I'd read up about these medications and I was really uncomfortable with them. And I was scared as well. And, you know, I even had friends who were nurses and, and, you know, other people in the medical saying, oh, those drugs are like, they're really hardcore and they use them for cancer treatment. And, you know, so I was just terrified. And the other thing was that I had to, um, I had to wean my baby. 
because it wasn't safe for me to take the drugs and, and breastfeed. And breastfeeding something that as a mum, I've always kind of found very effortless and easy and I, and it's been a way that I've bonded with my children and my other two just weaned when they were ready. So um, this one who was only like eight months old at the time, I just, in my mind, I was like, it's too early, I'm not ready, he's not ready. And I just thought I could kind of fight my way through it. And as a mum, and I'm sure many of you can relate, this idea of like putting yourself ahead of your child's needs is really challenging. And so I just kept coming back to this idea that I was being selfish because I needed to look after my baby and he needed me. And the idea of me taking a medication and making him wean, I just like really, really struggled with. But my body was very determined and the universe was very determined to tell me that I needed help. And so by the time he was kind of approaching 12 months old, I'd reached a point where um, my inflammation was so severe um, that I could barely move most mornings. Um, I couldn't get out of bed on my own. I couldn't turn the taps on the showers. Um, My hair was falling out. Um, I'm not a big girl anyway, but I was losing weight like crazy. I think I got into like the forties in terms of, um, you know, around 40 kilos, uh, mid forties. And, um, yeah, I was just, I just looked like a skeleton (laughs) and my little boy, my seven year old would have to help me get dressed in the morning. It was a very humbling time because I, you know, I'd really just lost all those things that I took for granted, you know, just getting out of bed on your own. I couldn't pick my baby up out of the cot. You know, I couldn't hold him, couldn't drive a car. Um, you know, I was a real mess. I was an absolute mess. And I was just in constant pain, like it, just movement in general was excruciating. And so um, during the time I changed rheumatologists, I thought maybe, you know, I'd go to a new rheumatologist and we might have a different, he might have a different idea. And I remember hobbling into his room and he sort of took a, took one look at me and he said, oh, you're not, you're not a very well lady, are you? You know, um, are you in a lot of pain? And, you know, I just remember I had tears coming down my face. Um, I was totally defeated by that point and just um, ready to kind of do whatever, whatever needed to be done. So, yeah, it was at that point that I agreed to um, initially go on some very high levels of steroids just to bring my um, inflammation down and then um, go through the process of weaning the baby. But it took me a long time to... Um, I would be lying if I said I was even completely over that whole grief period now where I felt like this whole choice was taken from me. And I think, you know, you talk about intuition. My intuition was telling me that I needed to use this medication and my sense of self and my sense of ego was so strong that it was prepared to override. So I even knew in my gut that this is what I needed at that point of time to help me to get well. Um, I'm not suggesting that you need, you know, medication long-term forever and that's everyone's option. But for me at that point in time, that's, that's definitely what I needed. And I was just so damn stubborn. (laughs) And I had this, this sense of like what a mum should do and what's the right thing, um, that I just, yeah, I just fought it to a point where, um, I was, yeah, a total mess. And then fortunately the medication, the steroids helped things to just settle enough. Um, and, but, but it took a long time. It took almost a year for my body to recover. 
And I think if I had just <laughs> accepted the help a little sooner, and I think that even that is a lesson in itself, um, and particularly women, and I think mums, we often martyr ourselves. We think, oh, we should be able to do this all. I should be able to have a career and raise children and keep a house and run a social life and, you know, and still look happy and, oh, and look after myself. <laughs> You know, like, and there's there's this gamut of things that the modern woman um, just seems to think that they should be able to effortlessly juggle, and um, you know, and I I think there was a big there was a big piece of that for me too, and a real lesson that at some point in time I had to stop and ask for help, you know, and I had to admit that I needed help and that I couldn't do it all. And as soon as I asked for help, it was amazing. It came in like spades. I had family bringing food and my sisters came and cleaned my house and, um, you know, people would come and drop off coffee or anything. Like people people were genuinely keen to help me, but it was just um, I had this idea that I could kind of push my way through it. Lupus is one condition that is very hard to diagnose um, because it can, those symptoms can show up as um, there's lots of other conditions that show those same symptoms. Um, and so it does take a long time to get to the bottom of it. Um, it's interesting how the body can attack itself in such a way. It also shows that it really, you have to fill your own cup first, don't you? Uh, otherwise you can't show up for your family, but it's um, a tough lesson to learn for all of us. And we will all do it at some point, I think. Um, so any tips you can give us on how to get to that place quicker um, is definitely welcomed. <laughs> um, I suppose, is that the um, first step that led you down this pathway of looking at becoming an intuitive coach? Yeah, yes, absolutely. And um, I think like, so my, my whole passion and purpose now is around empowering other women um, to to trust their inner knowing and to trust their sense of wisdom. And I think we get trained through life and men and women um, just, just because I'm a woman and that's my passion area, but it's certainly men too. We get trained to start to, to ignore our inner knowing and ignore our inner compass and look for external um, validation and external cues for what we should do. And it's often um, decisions that really uh, should be made by us and, and actually impact us. So it's really interesting that, but we get, you know, we obviously have parents that teach us. There's a way they want us to live. There's rules to live in their home. You know, they have their, their personality, their style, their structure. Then we go to school. We have teachers. We have principals. We, we have a schooling system that teaches us a certain way. This is the way to learn. You know, this is how you find knowledge. You know, this is how you get information. Then we often go on and do trades or university. And so, and so we end up in jobs. And again, it's all structure and there's always a set of rules that you live by and you're often then seeking external information on, well, how do I do this and is this the right way? And I think obviously there's a need for those structures, um, you know, certainly within workplaces and education system, what have you. But the problem I think has happened is that when we then start applying these structures to things that we should just be managing with our own internal compass, it becomes a bit of a problem. And for me, 
I think I'd always sought approval. I had, and I still, I still do seek approval and I seek to be liked and I seek to want people to think I'm doing the right thing. And I have a very strong idea of what is good and what is bad. And we all, we all do. We often, and it might differ what, you know, what you think is good and bad and what I think is good and bad might be different, but we often have these definitions of, you know, and what we, what we aspire to be. And so I would make a lot of my decision based on what would a good, you know, what would a good person do or what is the right thing to do. And that's not always the thing that's right, you know, if you actually tune back in to what's right for you. And parenting's a great example. I think parenting is um, one of the best uh, places where we override our own internal cues and our own wisdom in favour of the information. And the information is just ubiquitous. It's everywhere. We have parenting experts. We have social media. Everyone's written a book on how to be a good parent. Um, We've got child health nurses. We've got pediatricians. We've got friends that have got kids. We've got mums and dads who have had children, grandparents. Like Everyone's an expert on parenting, yet no one's an expert on how to parent your children. And that's been like a really big lesson for me because even the way I was raised, there are elements of my um, upbringing that I would love to take through to my own children. But there are parts of my parent, uh, parts of my upbringing that don't serve my children. And my children are different to me, and they're different to my siblings. So I think being able to like relinquish, you know, these ideas of what's, you know, right and wrong and really tuning into, um, you know, what's right for your children. And even between your children, they're different. So my daughter, she's very intrinsically motivated. She hates getting in trouble. You know, she doesn't doesn't like the thought of um, being told off. So she'll fix her behaviour before we even have to do anything. Whereas the second one, he came along, he doesn't care. And in fact, he seeks trouble. And so we had to throw out the book that we used for Olivia and we had to find a new way of motivating him. So, um, you know, and if we if we just tried to force the same approach that worked on her with him, which we did for a while, we maybe were a bit slow to learn, but um, he very quickly taught us that it wasn't going to work. And then the third one, he's, he's different again. So even within your own um, structures, I think if you're not tuned into what your children need and, and I really believe that you do know, um, I think it's just really easy to talk yourself out of it. And so, yeah, a lot of the work I do is around um, giving women those tools and giving them that space to actually just reconnect with they know, and you know, you always do know the answer, but it's really good to override it with all the noise that we have going on around us. And so I think I might've like digressed a little bit from your question, (laughs) but yes, that is how I got onto my journey. From my background as being a pharmacist, uh, we are trained, just how you said we go to do university with all this background, um, training education or whatever our pathway is to becoming a mum. And we are trained to find the problem and fix the problem. And that has really been quite challenging becoming a mum because there's often not a problem. And I think we are all, not just myself and having a health professional background, I think other people do it, lots of other mums do it. We always think there has to be a problem here that we have to diagnose and then we have to have a solution for it. Um, And often it's just 
just being kids. <laughs> it's just humans. We're just humans. Oh, the, the amount of chats I've had. Yeah. So what are some of these tools that you do use with your clients to um, help get them back on board? Like, is it more um, focusing in on one-on-one with you or is it um, being surrounded by other women or what are some of your tools? Yeah, it's a bit of all of those things. So I do a variety of, um, I have a variety of ways that I love to work with women. Some of it is one-on-one and that's where I work um, in a coaching sort of setup where a woman will come in, usually she's seeking clarity and really I just hold space for the woman to actually look at what is it that she wants to create, whether it's relationships or health or career or whatever pathway that we're going down, but we can sit together we do a bit of a visioning session um, and I use some different like, meditations and tools to kind of get you in a space where you're out of your head and actually just looking at like, what is it that I would love to have? Like no barriers, forget about how you're going to get there, forget about the, the practicalities, just what would you love to have? And we get really clear on that. And then we look at well, where are you currently at in relation to that vision? So Say it's that your, you know, your vision is that you want to have a beautiful family and a beach and, you know, a beachside house. And this is just an example, you know, a dog called Rufus. Um, But currently, um, you know, I've got no money and I don't actually have a partner and I don't believe that I can even get to any of those things. And there's always stories that we tell ourselves. There's always a narrative that governs us and we all have one. And it's very clever and it often keeps us just exactly there and stuck. And so just by looking at it and realizing, okay, well, this is just where I am right now, but this is actually where I want to be. Then we can start to create some, um, what I call bridges, but steps or, um, you know, actions that you can start to take. And it's not the whole path because it's intuitive. So it's just, what's the first step that I need to take towards creating that vision? And maybe it's as simple as I'm going to write this out as an actual this is a this is like a mission or a vision that I'm reaching. So you write it down and every day you focus on it. And then another actionable step might be that, um, you know, you start to do some things that actually work towards it. So whether it's, um, you know, putting yourself in situations where you might meet someone or setting up a, a meetup group or whatever it is, it comes through intuitively. So it's always a different thing and it's different for every person. Um, and so that sort of stuff I do with women just one-on-one and you can do that as a one-off or you can do it over, over an ongoing process where I support you to actually go through to create, um, the vision that you have. And it usually involves a number of different, um, actual visions that come out. So it might be one overall picture, but then you have different vision statements that, that support your journey. The other things I do are more group-based. So I do women's circles, Um, they're really a fantastic opportunity for women to just come together in a safe space. Um, We do like some meditation. We do a bit of sharing. Um, The last one I did just here in Yelling Up was just beautiful. And it was just a small group of women, but they really um, just needed that space to be able to just uh, let off a bit of steam about what was going on in their worlds. It's amazing how when you share something that you think that's like plaguing you and no one else would understand how many of the others go, oh my gosh, you know, oh, I do that too. Well, I, I get that too. And I think 
in our modern world, we've moved away from that kind of opportunity. Women just get to sit and be really honest and vulnerable with each other. We do get together in gatherings. Um, you know, I'm not saying we don't socialize, but actually a lot of the like deep stuff we do is often on our own and it can be very lonely. And particularly as a mum, um, and all these ladies were mums, you know, some of those struggles of feeling like you're dedicating your whole world to these children or, you know, your family life. And, and the common theme that came up and often comes up is that they're neglecting themselves in favour of making sure everyone else around them is happy. And so even just having that opportunity to sit, <laughs> sit in your own space and, um, you know, just be on your own, not have someone climbing on you, not someone nagging for a snack, and just, you know, being able to be there is, is enough. Um, we don't need much as, as mums. Like, um, it's amazing. Like I said to you before, just going for a bushwalk on my own, I thought it was the best thing ever. I didn't have anyone around me. I just had nature and me. And it's amazing how well that fills your cup. Um, and then some of the other things that I do are more in uh, like a group setting. So which I do small group programs. So it's the same sort of thing where we do, um, we do intuitive work. We cover off on different topics um, and then the women together. And it's really powerful as a container when it's great doing it on your own. And that certainly serves a journey when you have like a really specific, you know, you want to be focused on your journey and you want some support to get there. But also the group setting like um, same as with the women's circles, you have that opportunity to actually learn from each other and get that sort of sense of um, sense of community and sense of like, oh, okay, you know, um, I'm not on my own or, oh, that's really cool. I like what she's doing. You know, that, that applies to my world. And so not only do you get to tap into your wisdom, you get to tap into this group wisdom as well. So they're really powerful as an opportunity to to sort of support one another. Um, and then basically the other things are like supporting tools. So I do like um, guided journaling workshops. So that's another um, really practical tool where you can actually sit, you know, and provide a structure about intuitively tapping into like, what do I need to know today? Um, you know, what am I grateful for? Um, what am I, what's getting in my way or how am I getting in my way? So I provide a structure and then I facilitate those sections. I've also got templates and things that are downloadable so women can access them and just do it off their own back. But I think having those structures sometimes is really beneficial as well. Um, and there was something else, but I just lost my train of thought. But yeah, essentially a lot of the work I do is around just facilitating that structure. So women have the opportunity to just be with themselves and and tap into that knowledge. And the amount of women that will sit with me initially and say, oh, I like, I don't think this is going to work. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know about this. And then, you know, it's just having that structure and then having me there to sort of hold the space and then they step in to this, you know, and so I use different um, tools like we do circle work. So you, you step into a circle and you receive the information. You can do symbols where you receive a symbol and it tells you information. So there's lots of different ways you can facilitate that, but it's really just, it's just a vehicle to connect to your, to your, um, to that wisdom. And then the stuff that comes out, they're like, oh, they're like, oh, that's really cool. And I'm like, that's amazing. So um, it, it's definitely not me. It's just um, the wisdom's all in the women. It's it's all in you. It's just giving you that container to find it and give yourself that like that space to do it. So 
Yeah, that's a, that's basically a lot of what I do. I think that's the most important um, part there is um, being given the space and the time to do it and allowing you, giving yourself the permission to um, be the centre of that focus for that period of time. Um, you know, it could be easy for someone to think, oh, I – I don't need help in that. I, I will just sit and try and focus on my own. We all know we won't do that on our own. Um, and as parents, we will find a thousand other things to do first. Um, the washing is always piling up in the laundry. So <laughs> you're probably going to go straight for something like that before you take the time to sit down and tune into yourself. So having space and um, having yourself as a coach or other women around you um, really gives you permission and time to, to do that. Um, I can imagine this being very helpful for women who might be having um, a transition between um, either being mum and balancing mum and career or whether they are looking at um, stepping back into career. They've had maybe a long period of time off or maybe they had a career before and now that doesn't sit with them the same way as it did before and they're trying to find a new um framework that's going to balance better with their new role. Um, do you work with women in that aspect and sort of what, what sort of tips do you have with that? Yeah, absolutely. And um, you covered off probably three of the main kind of clients that I work with. And it's funny, not coincidence, I'm sure, but that's essentially what happened with me. So I was in a state government role 15 years doing project work, um, working in community, doing a lot of relationship, facilitation, holding space, but in that sort of very structured setting that didn't lend itself. And as much as I had freedom as an employee, as much as you could, it still didn't support um, my journey as a mum of three um, and I needed more fluidity and I wanted to be able to apply my own kind of flavour, I suppose, to this kind of um, facilitation and so that's that's essentially the sort of journey I went on. And and I also got to a point after three children that I realised that I actually am not the same woman that I was before I had kids. And it did take a long time. And it's, um, I guess it's like a, a, um, a shedding of sorts where you, you know, you have to let go of, um, you know, you have an identity and you have roles that you played and they do evolve. So a lot of the women that come and work with me have got to a point and some of them are not even necessarily going back into work, but they've just had some children. They've kind of gone through the like really early days where everything's just a blur and you're just surviving and you sort of come up for air, you know, a couple of years in, which is really about right. And you go, oh, you know, and you sort of like, it's almost like you've come out of like being underwater. And then they go, who the hell am I? Like, you know, I, I've got, I'm a mum, I've got, I've got children. And, and then they get sort of to a level of independence. They still need you, but they can do stuff themselves. And so some of your function, even as like a mum has shifted. And so that's often a big point where women really start to question like, like what do I love and what lights me up and what do I want to do with the rest of my life? Like what am I passionate about? Um, and even um, I have women who on paper, if you looked at it, they tick all the boxes. They're like, I've got a career, I've got kids, I've got a family. Like, but there's something in them that's not, that there's something missing. And so they're searching for, 
you know, that, that sort of fulfillment, that sense of like, well, there must be something else. And they can't even put their finger on it, but it's often then that they look for, okay, well, well, maybe I need to explore this a bit more. And that's why the sorts of programs that I run are perfect for. So any woman really who's searching, who's looking for, yeah, whether it is that they're, they're, they're trying to work out where they want to go with their career, whether they're trying to connect to themselves. And everything I do is about connection back to self because I believe that when you've got that strong connection to self, that is basically the foundation for your connection out to everything else. So your connection with your children, with your partner, with your family, you know, the relationships you hold, your whole sense of world, I think, is um, really it's that, that foundation of like connection to self. So when you have a strong sense of that, it then bolsters all your other, um, the rest of your world. So yeah, absolutely. All those women and, and more. <laughs> um, if anybody is looking at getting in touch with you, what is the best way for them to find you? Um, so I have my socials, which I'm pretty active on. And so the handle for them is Tash Diaries. And so Facebook and Instagram, it's the same handle. Um, otherwise through my website, it's probably best I've got. Um, so it's tashdiaries.blog and I've got a contact form on there, which goes through to, um, which will come directly to my inbox. So, but I'm pretty active on socials, so you can always just you know, flip me a message or follow me, but you're welcome also to go and check out. Um, so I have blogs on there, um, my current offerings in terms of the programs I have running and um, just upcoming projects and things. So you've got the option as well uh, to join up to my e-newsletter and then my blogs come out monthly. Um, any like upcoming events like women's circles or online courses or opportunities to work with me, plus any of the freebies that I offer. So uh, the next one, I'm going to share my um, my guided journaling template that I mentioned. So I'm going to provide that to all my subscribers as a freebie that they can download. And it's just like I said, it's just that structure for you, but it's something that you can work with at home as um, often mums, you need to squeeze a bit of time somewhere, but you've got that structure then that you can just follow and it helps to kind of keep you on track. And um, yeah, that's probably the best ways to, to get in touch with, with me. I will add all of that um, as links on the show notes so people can easily find you. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thank you so much for, um, for having me, such a gracious host, and um, you've guided the conversation really well. So I really appreciate it and I appreciate the opportunity. See you later, Tash. Bye. Thank you for listening to Unscripted with Alex. This show was brought to you by Batika Co.